Hello, this is Hope, and you're listening to Covert Castaway. Welcome to my weekly diary of what I learn and how I cope with transitioning to life as a liveaboard cruiser. Let's face it, shit happens. It's not the fact that they'll happen that's bad. It's being unprepared for how to anticipate situations and manage them effectively as a team that causes a lot of drama, which will suck the joy out of any liveaboard experience. Some of the apprehension about sailing comes with so many unknown new situations. I know we will face them and be in them, and it can get overwhelming. It's a bit easier to be comfortable thinking about managing risks in sailing when you're confident you have great seamanship skills and enough experience being tested over years of gaining offshore sailing experience, like my husband. Some things for him come second nature. Then there's me. For many of us who are taking on this liveaboard lifestyle with their spouses, much of this is new. And even if one of the people in the couple has a lot of experience, That doesn't mean together you can make a great crew because you share a different appetite for risk and may even have different ideas about how to problem solve. I worry a lot and I tend to be hypervigilant because I'm not fully comfortable yet. And he's like, la-di-da, ain't life grand. I get that taking on a new lifestyle means taking on new hazards and risks that I may not be familiar with, which is scary, but it's also exciting to push myself past my comfort zone. And clearly I'm not alone. As sailing and cruising goes more mainstream, because sailing has literally gone socially viral, there are more people jumping in with perhaps less experience, myself certainly included. So I wanted to take a more methodical approach to how my husband and I manage risks associated with liveaboard sailing in some practical way and give us a process for how to think about risks together, help us have important conversations about potential situations and how we would handle them. But let's also be honest. This is a bit about me getting my inner control freak on and wanting some kind of structure for how to prioritize what I should be worried about. In business in general, risk management models have been around for years, and they address these same problems in a business context. Companies hire professional worriers, lovingly referred to as attorneys, who are tasked with helping generally manage downside risk for any major decision or potential issue. So whether a business or organization is just starting out, Maybe it has to comply with certain regulations or is expanding into a new area or adopting a new business process. There's a way to manage the inherent risks that come along with change and ongoing operations. The idea is to have a proactive strategy for identifying, assessing, and mitigating risks as a best practice to ensure good outcomes for the business or the mission. It's also used to ensure that there's alignment across organizations and teams, so everyone is on the same page about what's important and what to do if an event happens. It documents procedures and who's responsible for what so that people know what to do when something happens. Just putting this kind of plan in place helps reduce risk because there is thought given to potential hazards. So I set out to create a risk management plan for us to use as part of our transition because I didn't want to later be in a crappy situation and argue about when to worry and what to do, especially if we have different risk tolerance levels, which we absolutely do. Among other things, I didn't want to air out all of our interpersonal dynamics on a crowded anchorage, so I felt it best to get our house in order before we release the lines. I need to start off by saying there's a difference between general safety rules 
and having a proactive approach to continuously manage risks and adapting to various circumstances or passages over time. General safety rules might be always wear your life vest when not at anchor or don't boil water underway. These are typically related to reducing the risk of injury or death. But risk management plan is more holistic and accounts for the context of where you are and all the aspects that could create a compounded set of problems that hinder the mission overall. It's meant to break down a potentially large set of factors into tangible decision points and actions that reduce ambiguity and response to situation management. And just like the weather, it should be reviewed on a regular basis. So safety rules and point-in-time procedures like man overboard are part of good sailing protocol. But for us also, we need to take a more holistic approach and build it into how we operate as crew. Together, we can anticipate and mitigate risks as situations happen and reduce the severity of problems so we can ultimately increase our chances of achieving our mission. So let's start there. What's our mission? Well, we want to sail around the world and experience new people, places, and circumstances for as long as we can without dying or wanting to kill each other. Yep, that's pretty much it. Buried in there are things like health and safety, weather and passage planning, boat and equipment, financial planning, and interpersonal crew dynamics, among many other things. The basics of the model for risk management are simple, and they've been around for years, so I'll just cover the few basic steps for which we're going to apply that mission. So first of all, we need to think about the context. So this context phase is about really establishing the scope, context, and appetite for what risks we will be trying to mitigate at that point in time. So for example, for us, we're just trying to tackle the first six months, leaving our life behind, moving onto the boat, and having our first shakeout season. The desired outcome is to get our lives on the boat, make sure the boat is operating safely, and manage a sailing season in the med. The next phase will be preparing our first Atlantic crossing, and at that time, we will reassess this plan altogether and set a new context. The second step is identifying risks. This means making a list of all the things that could possibly go wrong, which includes all kinds of things from bad weather to late boat delivery to system or equipment problems, etc. Once that list is established, we rank them in order of impact on our overall mission so we had some kind of hierarchy. When doing this, we were able to collapse things into categories that were closely related or create a snowball effect to other things or created multiplier effect on other things. Next, we assess the risks. Of all those things we ranked in order of severity of impact to the mission, we ranked them again a second time in a second column in terms of how likely it was for them to happen. So for example, having to abandon ship would be a huge risk and it's something that we all think about. But of all the things on the list, it was low in terms of likelihood in the big picture. Then, just like in business, you essentially multiply the two rankings together. You can get a prioritized risk matrix, which determines the top risk you should be proactively finding ways to avoid or mitigate. This brings us to the next step, mitigating risks. Then we agreed to sort the list by highest scoring items and tackle the first few items to create risk strategies for each item. This would come in the form of protocols, prevention tactics, or guidelines. And there's a bunch of things that are still under negotiation. This whole thing is a closed loop. So the idea is that you create your risk plan, you find new and better controls to put in place that help you better manage over time. For example, if you know risk on any items is much higher if one or both of you aren't well rested, 
you commit to getting the right amount of sleep during a passage, no matter what. Or choosing to invest in high-quality chain to lock your dinghy down to avoid theft versus relying on standard line. Or a list of standing orders, like on Nightwatch, the skipper is always woken up if another ship is spotted on the horizon. That sort of thing. All that being said, my husband and I went through this assessment exercise, thinking through a passage, and we came up with the following. So um, the context here is a passage. Run out of potable water. Probability of occurrence we thought was pretty low. We ranked it a three, but the seriousness of the occurrence was high, like a nine. So that ranked uh, level of concern was a 27. So that helped us think through how to make sure that doesn't happen. Crew member seasick. That was also uh, probability of occurrence was a nine. Seriousness of occurrence was a three. So that's still ranked to 27. Manual steering broken. That was next. And this was a known issue. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we were thinking through that. Water maker interoperative. This is a little bit of a different problem than running out of potable water. We wanted to make sure that we talked through what the backup water situation was if the water maker broke. Fishnet entanglement. Uh, we thought through preventative measures for that and also we resorted to making sure we had line cutters put on our props. So that was another issue. And then we talked about what would happen if one of the, uh, if lines got caught in one of the engines, but maybe not the other. Crew member overboard. So likelihood of this to happen was a two, but the seriousness of the occurrence was high. There was a lot that we talked through about this, which I'll touch on a little bit later. Crew is seriously injured or impaired. That's a little bit different than seasickness, maybe a physical injury or, I don't know, someone freaks out. Uh, fire, so likelihood was a two, but severity was high. So um, we talked through all of the various firefighting uh, types of things that we would need to think through on that. Sail torn or jammed, hatch cover lost. Again, this was a known problem and there are preventative measures. Collision, uh, getting struck by lightning. We talked about Faraday cage, Faraday bags. How would we, what would we do to help dissipate the energy? And again, that's related to fire. Nav lights, inoperative, flooding, and storm approaching. So those were kind of our top things. So for each of these options, we went through preemptive measures, talked about guidelines, procedures if necessary, and took into account the crew's combined risk tolerance, not just the skipper's. This was a negotiation, but with shorthanded crew, it means that if the skipper's fine and dandy, but the first mate, yours truly, is freaking out anxious and can't get necessary sleep, it doesn't make for a solid crew situation and actually compounds a problem. This helped him understand that a little bit. This process really not only helped us think through the remediation, but also wrestle to the ground and agree on guidelines like when to reef. It also helped us think through what kinds of things we wanted to prioritize as backup or safety equipment or to double check with the commissioning agent when we get the boat. Like I said, we know that the hatch covers and the steering issues are a thing, so it made the top of our list as risks as well, and it'll help make sure that we double and triple check those things during the handover. In addition, if the crew overboards a major risk, which it is, what can be done on the boat and with our personal equipment to decrease the chances of this happening in the first place? So mandatory double jack lines on our life vests and mandatory use on passages, for instance, is obvious. In addition to personal EPIRBs and things like man overboard procedures, 
I'm also considering getting an infrared night scope that hopefully we never have to use. This is a funny story, P.S. After all my online research on night scopes, the Google started serving me ads for hunting gear, rifle equipment, ads for joining the NRA, and oddly, like black ski masks, which is really bizarre. All of which I just think is hilarious given my personal stance on firearms and the fact that I don't make a habit of robbing banks. Anyway, so what did I learn? Going through this process really created a risk management plan that was both insightful and incredibly useful. It definitely helped my husband and I talk through things and not rely on reading each other's minds or trying to debate situations real time. It forced us to get on the same page so we can work better together as a team under high stress situations. And we're still working through the plans. If you've listened to the episode called Power Struggle, you may be able to identify with the shifting roles between us as we transition from land to sea. Building a risk management approach and plan allows us to proactively agree on ways we will handle situations without it becoming a huge conflict between two people in an effort to solve a problem. Yes, I realize he's a skipper, but I also have a responsibility to solve problems to keep us both safe. And I can't be helpful either by standing around waiting for him to figure it out by himself and then telling me what to do if he can't see the big picture without my help. I'm much more helpful and empowered if I can understand what might happen and possible ways we can work together to resolve it and talk all that out ahead of time. So what about you? Have you already done a risk assessment and come up with a risk management plan? What did you and your sailing partner learn in this process? Visit the Covert Castaway Facebook page and join the conversation. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another Covert Castaway. Fair winds for now.